Welcome again to the Neighborhood Church. I'm Jason Knight, one of the elders here, and I have been known to enjoy an after-dinner mint. I think we should start like every week with like a weird fact about ourselves. Can we do that for now on? I'm trying to start trends. So, thank you for uh, Psalm one. Like, definitely, I had that in mind as I was studying this week, and. Uh, I don't reference it, but it's one of my favorite passages, and it was really cool to hear that before you. Uh, so tonight, we are looking at our third core practice, build disciples. And the our passage is going to be in John 1, and uh, that starts in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said, come, you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who would follow Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which we translate as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Philip said, Come and see. All right. So, We're going to dive into what it means and why we practice uh, or might not practice this core practice of growing disciples. If you have signed our our membership, not membership, what am I saying? Partnership agreements. Uh, You've read this before, visited the the website. It says, we commit to invite people into a relationship with Jesus by baptizing, teaching, and sending them on mission. We're going to dive into what this means and and doesn't mean. So what is a disciple? Duran Gray says, a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus in the community of Jesus who relies on on the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit's presence and power to reproduce Jesus's life, ministry, and mission. We often think of Jesus as showing us what God looks like, uh, but many times, I mean, at least I think that I can forget that Jesus is also showing us what humans can look like and the potential that humans have when we come into alignment with our purpose. Someone who commits to being with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus. 
that's how Dallas Willard deci- defines what a disciple is, and something that we, we say around here quite often. So what does discipleship in the kingdom of Jesus look like? I believe it looks like it's a, 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 rest, a restoring, a renewing, a realigning of self to the person of Jesus that then carries into a restoring, renewing, realigning of others. This is how heaven and earth meet. And that's something that is talked about in the Bible, right? Heaven and earth meeting, but what does that mean? Uh, we oftentimes have talked about Jesus, about being the place, the person and place where heaven and earth meet. Um, as he even prays, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Jesus, the person of Jesus, fulfills this prayer. When you, as Paul describes in his writings, become part of the Jesus kingdom, you become part of the Jesus family. And you put on the identity of Jesus. And in essence, you become an intersection of where heaven and earth meets. This alignment is an embodiment of our purpose. Uh, But it goes beyond us. There's space between every one of us. And the space is broken, right? Right? The space between me and them, when we conquer this space for Jesus, we're bringing in kingdom. We are aligning heaven and earth. Conquer is a really weird word, right? It's kind of a, it kind of gives me a, a bit of a gross feeling. And I think it's because all the examples we see of what conquering means or what it means in the world, right? It means things like war or destruction, imperialism. Subversion, hatred, uh, and propping up of like yourself or a country, whatever it may be. But in the upside down way that Jesus conquers, it looks different. It looks like healing, restoring, lifting up, returning value and respect, love of the other, serving all. And what we are bringing about and living in this way is what we refer to as the kingdom of Jesus. There's a slide, a picture of some leaves that we have here. And I think our group uses this on Facebook, the Garland group. Maybe I'm misremembering, but uh, I always liked this image. I don't know who shot it. I wish I could give them credit. Um, But like at first glance... I always thought, oh, this is a beautiful kind of cycle of life, you know, the living leaf to the dead leaf. And then after a while, it just kind of hit me, well, in this upside-down way of Jesus, it's a very much beautiful way of looking at the life of a disciple, moving from dead and broken to to alive. Uh, Rich Lotus, paraphrasing him, he says, the gospel isn't an attempt to make bad people good, but make dead people alive. I want to look at how we become or how we became disciples. Uh, Three easy things. We heard about Jesus. We saw the works of Jesus. And then we joined in in the work of Jesus. 
Adam once talked about uh, what he called withness. He said, withness is not only about Jesus with you, but it's about you learning and living the Jesus way with others. John 13 says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He loved us. We heard about his love. We saw his love. And now he calls us to love in the same way. And we saw this in the text, right? In John chapter 1, verse 39, Jesus said what? Come and you will see. And I love that because how did that passage end in 46? Philip telling Nathaniel, come and see. Already we're seeing that modeling of Jesus. Let's dig a little deeper. Um, Langston Hughes wrote a, a poem I like. It says, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let's take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating. Essentially, if something doesn't seem right, let's dig in and see what's up. Adam also once said, the love of God is working in you when the love of neighbor is flowing through you. This is 100% true. But we can get into this bad habit of thinking that being good, being a good neighbor, living the good life, uh, is the entirety of our expression of love towards our neighbor. So often, I think we merely settle for living that good life. Uh, but really, the good life is a byproduct, right? It isn't the thing itself. It's a piece of the puzzle. It isn't the gospel. The gospel needs to be communicated. We get to live the good life because we have fed off the Lord's table. We have benefited from Jesus, his work, his kingdom, and his gospel. Who are we if we are just showing off this good life and never pointing the way to the one who gifted it to us. So how do we make disciples? We've already seen in the text, right? We talk about Jesus with others. We show or we do the work of Jesus with others. And then we invite others to join in on the work with us. We're called to declare and demonstrate the gospel and then we ourselves call on others to do the same. And a lot of us will probably think, well, I'm not really made for that. It doesn't really sound like my makeup. Uh, this, uh, this way of disciple building, it's not reserved for the perfect people of Jesus. It's the work of all of us. This on-the-job training is the way of life that we're called into. You know, I was working this week, and during one of our meetings, I got a slide, and it popped up, and there was a little factoid. And I'm the one person who probably writes down all the little factoids. But it said 70 to 80% of professionals learn about what they learn about their profession comes from on-the-job training. Like, there's, school's great, books are great. But 70 to 80% of what you learn about the job comes from doing the job. 
And uh, that's no different. It's no different for me. It's no different for Adam. Right? Docendo decimus. That's, uh, you know, by teaching we learn. So, what are some reasons we don't make disciples? I, I know that a lot of times it, this, the idea of disciples, I think this core practice, we approach it and it feels a little awkward to us. Maybe we only talk about Jesus with Jesus people. Maybe we don't even talk about Jesus with Jesus people. Maybe we're a little missionally out of shape. So, Three things I think we can do, or three things I do that kind of block us from this. One is we stop our own discipleship. Another is we don't invest in ourselves, and another is we don't invest in others. Growth happens when we spend intentional time cultivating our relationship with God and others. I think we can tend to self-sabotage this growth. So I want to talk about not investing in others real quick. We're going to work backwards. At work, we talk about always starting with the customer's problem and working back from there, right? So uh, we don't invest in others. We can, I think one of the reasons we don't is because we can be pretty pessimistic. Um, Like maybe someone might be beyond this. I once uh, wrote in our youth journals that there are no lost causes in the kingdom. Only only those that have not yet recognized and responded to the goodness of God. There was one night when I was 18 and I was out too late, up to no good. I mean, I was minding my own business. (laughs) And... uh, I was pulled over by a police officer, and uh, you know, I don't know if I did something, or he's just curious, or maybe he's just hoping to scare a kid or something, but I get pulled over. He pulls me out of the car, and he's holding his flashlight up in front of his face, pointed at my face, and, and I, can, I remember his voice. Like, I can still hear it in my head. But for the life of me, couldn't tell you anything about what he looks like. The only reason I even know he was a police officer was because I saw the car. But I never saw him because that flashlight was right in my face the entire time. And then, like, I was thinking this week, for some reason that popped in my head. And I was thinking about uh, kind of, uh, you know, all these, uh, I watch a lot of, like, whodunits. In crime movies, and there's always that interrogation scene, and light is so important in those scenes and how they like juxtapose it. And you always have the the type of scenes where the person's behind the light and you can't see them, or you have the scenes where they're like right in front of the light, so all you see is shadow. You see their form, but not really see them. And then you have the people that are like right up on the person questioning them, and you can definitely see them because they're in the light too, right? I think a lot of times we use Jesus, we can use Jesus as a barrier. Like we create these ideas of us and them, 
of good people and bad people, of righteous and unrighteous, of our way of doing things and their way of doing things. I think it's really important to remember that unity is not the same thing as uniformity. Here's a picture I have of some wall art I saw. Um, I don't know where I saw it. Uh, This is very interesting. This reminded me of this time in high school. My senior year of high school, I was thinking about going to the armed forces. And I would meet in the mornings with our uh, Marine recruitment officer. I'd work out with him, and he'd talk with me, and we'd get into conversations. And I remember him describing, like, basic training as a time of when they are breaking you down because they need to build you up to what they need you to be. So they break you down, and they build you up. And, and I think people get a lot of the same idea of, of church and church people. And of course, there is a sense of you are no longer the exact same because you are with Jesus and Jesus has made you new. But also, we have to remind ourselves that we are not creating more Jasons or more Adams or more any of us. We are not creating people to specifically be neighborhood church people. We need all types of people in the kingdom of Jesus. We need all types, all perspectives. We need people from all sorts of places and all sorts of experiences. I think we have to stop using these things as blockers for reaching people, saying this is not their type of thing. A lot of times we get busy in like trying to build church instead of trying to build kingdom. And what we end up doing when we do that is creating false disciples. We have to guard ourselves from that. We have to guard ourselves from, in in this discipleship building, to not make commodities of people. You know, it's, it's real tempting sometimes to say, oh, if we just had a few more people, think of all the child workers we could have. We wouldn't have to do it as often. Or like, oh, if we just had a few more people, we wouldn't have to pinch so many pennies. This could be so much better. But those cannot be the motivations at all. At all. If you love someone the way we're called to love, the way Jesus has called us to love, the way that Paul is talking about loving, if you love someone, you'll find them beautiful. You will not be focused about the wrong in them. You'll not see them as an opportunity. You'll see them as a person that is beloved by our God. So we have to remind ourselves, we have to not forget that we weren't saved because we were good, but we were saved now that we could do good. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? The call of the gospel is to move towards the pain of other people. If we see people with loving eyes, with the loving eyes of Jesus, we will naturally move towards those spaces of pain. 
Another way that we can use this as a blocker to reach people is um, sometimes we try to curate our crowd. But God isn't a bouncer of an elite club. I remember growing up in church and um, definitely experiencing a us and them environment. Um, I remember hearing things, um, I forget if it was a song or if it was just like a saying back then, but like, would Jesus be allowed in your church, right? And I would think a lot like, oh man, we're just like so like this type of Christian that Jesus couldn't even make it in here. But, but really it's like, honestly, If there is an in crowd and out crowd, you'll find Jesus with the out crowd. And it's not because he can't make it in the in crowd. It's because that's where he prefers to be. Going back to that image of light. When the light is oriented towards someone, no matter how much closer or further they may be of the light, if it's oriented in their direction, it's easier to see the light reflecting off of them. If we're using our Jesus, our church, as a blocker to be alongside people, then it's easier for others to see Jesus reflecting off them than it is us. It's not until we come alongside someone that we both become reflectors of the light. Peter, in, uh, in Acts 10, I love this passage where he goes to the house of Cornelius. It says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way in, stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. <clears throat> so what are some other reasons we might not disciple? Maybe it isn't about disliking someone else. Maybe it's, it's more that uh, we assume that they don't need Jesus. Or do we even think of Jesus as enough of a motivator? I think, one, we've got to stop assuming what people need and start getting to know them and get to know their needs. Two, we have to stop assuming what people want. I saw a study that said, Non-churchgoers, 80% said they would come to church if someone invited them. 80% if somebody would invite them. 
Three, we have to stop also missing our own connection to Jesus. When it appears that God hasn't given you all that you've asked for, remember that God's given you himself. In John 1, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God forever allowed himself to be altered, putting himself in humanity and taking humanity in himself. This is our incredible God. These are the truths that we're keeping to ourselves, that we're not sharing. St. Basil says, the bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. Let's stop being people who share the crumbs from the table and start being people that are making room at the table. So if we aren't talking about Jesus with people, if we're not talking about even Jesus with people that we're close to, why not? It should be a very natural thing. So I want to look at not investing in ourselves. What does that mean? We stop being disciples ourselves because we stop engaging. And when we stop engaging, we forget who we are and why we became disciples. Let's remind ourselves that we are, as First John calls us, agapitoi. We are the ones whom God loves. I think a lot of times we settle for poor engagement. We have this way of compartmentalizing our lives, um, even our, our faith lives, right? So that we have Jesus times and then we have other times. Um, making your mind up about Jesus solely based on content is kind of like trying to pick a spouse based off an Instagram feed. Like, you could definitely eliminate people as options because of Instagram feeds, but, like, that wouldn't be, like, your final source for your choice, right? Because a collection of pictures of someone's best moments isn't that person. Also, a weekly sermon about Jesus isn't that person. We often settle for trying to satisfy our relationship with Jesus with just leftovers, we do this with our time and our energy. You know, we, so many days, you know, I think it's so natural sometimes to talk about things like the things we watch or the things we listen to because we pack up our schedules, we do all these things, we convince ourselves we have to do all these things, and we're ragged at the end of the day, and all we can do is sit and consume something. Sit and watch something, sit and listen to something. That's all the energy we have. And so, of course, when it comes to talk with people, that's what we're going to talk about. Those of you who know my wife knows Rebecca doesn't do leftovers. She doesn't do it. One of the things you may not know about Rebecca is that when we started dating, one of her rules that she was, like, adamant, this is the way it is, no option, no, like, if you can't do this, like, that's it. We're not going to happen. One of these things was tithing. Like, I, for me, 
it really wasn't, that wasn't like a, a thing. Like I gave, but like I get my check, I live my life, and what was left, I kind of gave then, right? If there, like, there would ever be anything left. For her, she paid up front and then shaped her life accordingly. And that's the way it's been since. So it's, it's like never been a problem for us, never been something that was unnatural. Of course, there was times when we couldn't give. Everybody goes through hard times. But it was that practice of doing it up front that helped us shape our lives into this way that, that just became natural, became a part of us. It's the same thing with our time and attention. And it's the same thing with talking about Jesus, experiencing Jesus, engaging with Jesus. In every moment, God is ready and seeking communion with you. Daily, we must reach out to the God who daily reaches out to us. Let's invite our Jesus identity into everyday spaces. So let's like wake up, spend time with him, pray. Like We're not going to talk about Jesus unless we start with a mindset of Jesus. Give God your first moments. Colossians 4 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for your message, for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. A lot of us took the, the prayer school with Brian Zahn. He said, the purpose of prayer is not to get God to do the things you think God ought to do, but to be formed. So take these moments to realign yourself with God. Then we start our day. And as Adam once said, as we walk in the spirit, our job is to pay attention and respond accordingly. It is our job to help people pay attention to God. To do that, we must first stay awake to the kingdom opportunities in our everyday lives. Remember, as a follower of Jesus, when you put on the identity of Jesus, you have the opportunity to become that intersection of heaven and earth. And where you go, their kingdom can be. So what is the invitation of Jesus that we saw in this text and we see so often? And was the invitation that we experienced ourselves? Come, follow me, taste and see, walk with me. Practically, what, what is it we can do to invite people in? Community. Invite them to community. Invite them to your table. Invite them into kingdom work. Invite them into prayer. And so often we say, I'll pray for you. Pray for them right then. Pray with them. You're inviting them to the feet of Jesus when you enter into prayer. Let them experience that. What is it we're tasting when it says taste and see? What is the world that we're walking into? In 1 John it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he, we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son 
as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then in Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is not about running to God or considering God. It's about God first coming to us and God showing his love to us. He's done it, so now we just respond to that. You're being invited into and are called into invite others into this truth that God of the universe knows you and loves you. That is the reality that we get to taste, that we get to walk in, that we get to live in. One thing as I was studying this week that really came into my heart was to speak to my own experience uh, with a bit with mental illness or more so speak to people who also might experience mental illness. You know, because of my genetic makeup, I'm going to struggle with depression my entire life. It's going to be a thing. That's okay. I understand who I am and what I need to do. It's, it's so important to have people in your life that have these shared experiences and to speak to them. And many speak to it, but really can't fully relate to your experience because they haven't shared in that experience themselves. It's like, I can totally empathize with being a person of color, but I, I can't speak as a person of color. I haven't had that experience. I can empathize with it, but that's as much as I can do. It's the same thing if you have mental illness. If someone hasn't had it, they can't fully understand it. They'll usually try to encourage you to pick yourself up, to choose joy, um, not understanding that it may not be a choice for you right now that you're capable of making. I know what it feels like to feel incapable, that these things like disciple building, going out and talking about Jesus, that these things sound impossible for where you're at. I know what it feels like to feel lost. So I want to spend a minute to remind you, if you have the same experience, that the reason lost things need to be found is because they have value to the one they belong to. We may think that because we are in a dark place, we are useless to the kingdom, but it is not. We are not. So often, new life starts in the dark. Whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in a womb, or Jesus in the tomb, dark times, including your dark times, can turn into life-giving times. There is hope for you, for others, even where you're at. No matter the battle we have, we get to live in this truth. You are known and completely loved by the God of the universe. There's others that share your experience. Use your experience to reach them. <clears throat> so we'll close here. And, and I want to say, no matter if you are a, a guy, a gal, or non-binary pal, we are called to live in the way of Jesus, who even as king lowered himself to be a servant of all. He gave himself to show us his love. Now 
He wants us to love each other in the same way. There's some questions I have for us this week that I want you to think over. Do you genuinely believe that Jesus wants to reside in our neighborhood? Really ponder this. Really think about it. Who might I invite to come and see so that they may be transformed? Picture people's faces and names when you ask yourself this. To where and to whom are you invited to go? Break down those compartmentalized walls. Find the spaces where you haven't been inviting Jesus into. How can I participate today with Jesus? Father, thank you so much. Uh, Lord, just for constantly being oriented towards us. Lord, make us more aware of you. Lord, help us start our days with an awareness of you. Lord, help us share that awareness with others. Lord, so that they may experience your love, your healing, your restoration. Father, let us see new believers. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight's benediction was written by our kingdom partner, Aubrey Smith, serving in Northern Ireland. May our loyalty be to Christ and his unshakable kingdom, and our lives be wholly aligned with his mission. May we grow in teaching God's word faithfully, following Jesus obediently, and serving one another joyfully. May God grant us understanding of how high, how wide, how deep, and how long is God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And may we grow into faithful emissaries of that love in our neighborhoods, our city, our nation, and to the ends of the earth. May the Spirit empower us to bear the cross of risk, rejection, exile, shame, and sorrow as our Savior bore it so that the world might know his life and joy. May we labor for this kingdom in hope and perseverance, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who goes before us. May the light of Christ shine in us as he sends us out. Go in peace.